All right, everybody, what's happening? Welcome to Hip Politics. Thursday, we are doing it again. Great conversation for you this evening. As you can tell, we started a little, had a little different uh, change in time tonight. Change is good, so don't be afraid. We're going back to 8 o'clock next week, but uh, do a little monkey wrench and stuff this week. Um, but it is going to be well worth the wait. Basically, tonight, guys, we're going to have a great conversation with, um, uh, you know, a brother that I was really unfamiliar with um, to a certain extent um, and was doing some research and, and um, Chester really helped with this and bringing him on and, and basically with the topic that I wanted to talk about. But, uh, you know, this gentleman is a, a, a poet and author, all-around activist. He is, um, he, you know, he's someone that I would consider a renaissance man. I've, I've listened to, you know, some of his uh, his talks and, and other interviews and think he is just a, a fantastic brother. I'm really privileged to have him on tonight. A G Kaima, he's going to come on in just a second. And, um, you know, he's from NYC and uh, 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 actually uh, from the same stomping grounds as uh, my father and, and uncles and, and a lot of, you know, people in my family. So it's uh, it's going to be a great conversation. And really what we want to get into tonight, um, you know, he, he has been an activist for a long time. He's been an educator um, and has really had, you know, some groundbreaking efforts when it comes to steering young people away from drugs, um, particularly through mentorship and education. Uh, and he also wrote a book called Game Over, The Rise and Transformation of a Harlem Hustler. It was based on the life of former uh, Harlem Kingpin, A.Z. Faison. Uh, and those of you that are familiar with um, uh, there was a movie, well, there was a documentary called Game Over, and then uh, a, a movie came out with um, Mackay Pfeiffer and, and um, Wood Harris where, um, you know, they were portraying the characters that are from his book, Game Over. And I really, really wanted to get into that as well, you know, particularly um, how, we, how we're steering the young people away from um, that life that uh, he got up close and personal with by uh, talking to AZ. So, you know, I hope you guys want to join the conversation. Feel free to give us a call if you like. Let's get the chat room going. Um, but the dial-in number is 805-292-0337. You have to push option one so we know that you want to come on the line. And if, and if you know, talking over a live audience isn't your thing, you don't have to do that. You can just get down in the chat room and uh, just register at the blog talk site. I say it every week. It's real simple, 30 seconds. Get a username, get a password. You'll get in there to, um, you know, register. We'll look at your comments. We'll read them. Uh, we'll also have um, uh, 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 you'll be able to interact with other listeners as well. So don't forget, in politics is here every Thursday. And like I said at the top of the show, it's typically 8 o'clock. And uh, tonight we just uh, changed up the time a little bit. And uh, but we'll be going back to eight o'clock. And uh, you've got uh, if you want to follow us, just you know check us out on Facebook. Give us a like, please. Follow us on Twitter. Don't forget uh, follow Chester too at CDJ Live. Um, tonight he's grab your money is his name tonight. So <laughs> this dude is such a character, y'all. You just don't know, but. Uh, Let's make it happen tonight. Just looking forward to this show. I'm uh, really, really excited. 
going to take a quick break. If we come back, we're going to bring on Brother G. Taiba. We'll uh, get down to business like we always do. You're listening to Hit Politics. We'll be right back. What I am displaying, a different kind of rapper language that I am saying. To all the party people, Maddox, all the fucking All right, people, we're back. We're doing it big tonight in politics. Somebody told me to pick up the energy a little bit, so let me do that and make it happen. I, uh, you know, I, I don't know why I'm in a laid-back mood. I think it's just because I ate before. I never eat before I come on the air, and I had a huge meal. So kind of, uh, you know, the wife cooked a good one. I had uh, some some baked chicken and, you know, uh, uh, mixed vegetables and rice. And, and I, it just made me get really laid back. It's crazy. But I got <laughs> I got to get back on my ground because this is crazy. We're on this health kick. So as you guys know, last week I told you I, I, um, I did the 10-day smoothie cleanse. Um, I don't ever want to do that again, but I'm glad I did. I'm glad I stuck to it. I cheated a little bit. One night I had to grab some some potato chips. It was ridiculous. But that was my only cheat time. And my wife left the house, and I couldn't wait for her to leave. I've been plotting for like an hour. But anyway, uh, I cheated a little bit, but overall for those 10 days, nothing but smoothies. It was crazy. So now it was a jump start to our health kick, you know, and I'm trying to do mind, body, spirit, the whole deal, um, but yeah, I ate before the show, so I think that kind of chilled me out, but with that said, I got to bring on our guest tonight, um, Brother G. Tahimba is here, and um, just a, a, a awesome all-around brother. Brother, thank you for being here tonight. How are you? Welcome to Hip Politics. Uh, thank you, Brother Mark. I'm blessed, man. I'm glad to be here. Oh, hey, yeah, I appreciate you. So, so you heard me talking about this smoothie cleanse that I've been doing. I'm, I'm really trying to, you know, cleanse my, my, my body and my mind and, and, and so on and so forth. I, and I think after all the research I've been doing on you, I, I think you would, you know, I, I think you would commend me for that, wouldn't you? Uh, well, brother, Malcolm said we should uh, <laughs> wake up, clean up, and stand up. So you in the second yeah. phase of the formula. Nothing wrong with cleaning man. up. Nah, you 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 got to man. But I'm gonna tell you something, brother. That was that was tough, man. That that took some discipline. I, I faltered a little bit, but it, it took a lot of discipline to go ten days just smoothies. Me and the wife. I mean, it was crazy. And I know people are wondering, you know, well, how is he gonna segue into, you know, what brother G brings to the table? And the thing is. I think as I look at and I understand the work that you've been doing, particularly in education and the activist work that you've been doing, you know, I think it comes down to us changing um, our mindset to a certain degree. 
And so some of the garbage that's been going in, we've got to get that garbage out. Tell me, what, what is it that you're seeing from, from, you know, your work, particularly with young people, and you see the influences and, and the, the things that are basically being poured into them and the product that's coming out? Well, uh, the interesting thing with that question is that many of the things that are advantages for our young people are also many of the things that give them the most crippling challenges. So <clears throat> if you think, for instance, about them having the access, you know, the Internet and having this wealth of information, having this multimedia sensibility and being able to multitask in a way that my generation as teens really could, didn't have the tools to do. That's a blessing and an advantage. However, if it's not used correctly, it can be a great curse. So now young kids could be checking out porn in a way that we couldn't do. They could uh, get exposed to how to use certain drugs, build certain weapons, you know, so or, or have major distractions from more serious pursuits. So, you know, a lot of the, uh, the advantages that the young people have are, are kind of disadvantages depending on the mentality that they have, the guidance that they have or don't have. Uh, other thing is you have, you know, I don't mean to be cliche, but you have, you know, the whole piece of hip-hop, and we can't talk about, have this discussion without mentioning the great impact of hip-hop. Now, I grew up as an MC in Harlem, and uh, and I'm a spoken word poet now. I, I have a great love for hip-hop. We'll always love hip-hop. However, we can be critical of the things we love. You know, so my thing with hip-hop is it's one thing to have, if the, if you listen to a radio show, let's say, from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and let's say that roughly a third of the hip-hop was kind of a silly, fun, braggadocious hip-hop. A third of the hip-hop was gangster hip-hop and then a third of the hip-hop was righteous and political hip-hop, that would be one thing. But the problem is that we have a preponderance of just one type of hip-hop that's telling essentially and recycling the same story repeatedly. So what we have is a lack of options and a lack of balance on the radio station to the point where when I was young, a young MC, I, I figured I could... Uh, I could get into hip-hop talking about a little bit of politics, a little bit of fun stuff. But now if you're a young brother or sister trying to get into the rap game, you pretty much are thinking, I have to basically talk about uh, being a gangster, wetting somebody up, you know, the, the misogyny is a lot with that. So, I mean, in a nutshell, that's, those are some of the things I would say about it. Yeah, I, you know what? I, I think that's an interesting point because, when, particularly when you point to hip hop, and I'm really glad that you that you touched on that because that's exact. That's one of the places I wanted to go tonight. There's a, a big lack of diversity of thought, right? There's there's no room. You know, everybody has has taken this this same cookie cutter approach. You know, with um, uh, uh, you know, the jewels, the women, the, you know, I got, you know, the, the most money or, or whatever the case may be, you know, um, as opposed to, you know, I, I'm in, 
I'm in college in, you know, the late 80s going into the early 90s, right? So in 88, 87, 88, you had, you know, P.E. coming out. And, like, everybody in college was, you know, really, really into public enemy and, and you know, trying to become conscious. And, and um, you know, you had just different groups out there that, that had, you know, there was a lot more diversity in music is, is, is the point. Um, and then there would just seem to be this shift. And with that shift, I mean, and, and, I, and you could speak to this better than I could just because of the work that you've done, you know, particularly in education. But it seems to me with that shift, particularly when it comes when it came to music, it, it seemed like it dumbed down a lot of, um, to a certain extent, it dumbed down a lot of the, the 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 kids so the 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 kids had no more thoughts of going any farther than what this music told them that they could do you know shoot somebody or you know just you know let's just sit around and smoke blunts all day long you know as opposed to you know being an activist like you were so i don't know you know i'm not really sure what your thoughts are on that I think we lost them, Chess. But yeah, so as we as we're talking about this, y'all, I wanted to make sure that um, you know hear your thoughts on you know the difference between you know what we saw in the '90s and why people weren't necessarily um, you know when people were a little more active than they were now, and how the music has really influenced the culture to move in a direction that is has been much less productive and I and I think we have we have him back now. So um you know brother Ajay, I'm not sure if you heard what 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 the you know what my comment was but you know I'd like to get your thoughts on basically how you feel that you know how you've seen the shift in the mentality in young people college students as well as the music has shifted over the course of time. people say art towards his life. Um and it's it's can you hear me? Yeah, I got you now. Okay. And it's it's tough to say does life influence art, does art influence life? I would probably submit that they're both accurate. But I have to say this. It's no accident that you see a difference in mentality, political activism consciousness mm-hmm. from let's say the sixties right to the eighties to now. That's not accidental. And we have to understand if we if we just remember the relationship we have with uh white society, how we came into contact with white society and how they used us initially through enslavement, then then everything else kinda makes sense. So our initial contact, at least in the 1500s, 1600s, through the transatlantic slave trade, we were brought here to be exploited. And so this whole sojourn in the United States has been a story of people trying to exploit our labor, our creativity, our talent, and us fighting and resisting that effort, <laughs> basically. Uh, so it's the same thing, whether you want to look at it Politically, 
You want to look at it educationally or you want to look at it musically. It's the same thing. We can look mm-hmm. at the 60s and the 70s, Curtis Mayfield, James Brown, Aretha Franklin. Look at the themes that you hear. And then we could look at it in the 80s where there was a resurgence through, as you alluded to, Public Enemy, Brand Nubian, X-Clan, Poor Righteous Teachers. Now fast forward to now. Those type of political ideas in hip-hop are on the fringe. They're in the minority. You can name the people, Most Def, Common, Talib, Quayle, uh, people like Mortal Technique will never get radio play, and there's so many others, but they're on the fringe. The dominant message in hip-hop, and no one can really argue this, is basically getting paid or materialism, shooting people up, or gangsterism, or a combination. And, that, and what I'm submitting is, that's not accidental. That is right, deliberate. I'm not, I'm not so going to should we be, So we shouldn't be surprised. You know? we, we shouldn't be surprised how society is actually viewing black men. I mean, based on, you know, the, the, you know, the facts that, that you just stated, I mean, we shouldn't really be surprised at, at what we see going on with our interactions with law enforcement, which is not really anything new. It's just, you know, really, really at the, in, in the forefront of, of society at this point, but, um, you know, with the way the culture or the art has influenced, you know, life, as you put it, I don't think we should be that surprised at the way, you know, we are viewed as black men in society. And I wonder how we, how we mean, change that. I mean, if the devil was trying to trick you and get you into hell, you wouldn't be surprised by it, right? <laughs> That's what you assume the devil does. Uh, so if we extend that to societal devils, so to speak, uh, then we have to say, no, we shouldn't be surprised. If you if you look at the history of the police, the whole idea of a police department, it comes from there's two different tracks. In the north, in the New England sort of area, there were night watchmen. And they would volunteer. They would come out at night and make sure people wasn't, you know, stealing or hurting anybody. But in the South, mm-hmm. it comes around in the, the 1700s, there were slave patrols. And this is what people need to understand. For, our, for us to understand police today, you have to know that they started out as slave patrols. And their mission was to monitor plantations and territories to survey the people to help prevent slave insurrections, right? And then if a slave insurrection occurred or a runaway attempt occurred, their job was to bring a halt to the insurrection or to be slave catchers and return these brothers and sisters back to captivity. Now, this is the same. The people we see today, the institution we call police, this is not like a personal, like each person in it. We're talking institutionally. So sure, the police department we see today, they're nothing but an extension. They're the descendants of those, those early slave patrols. And this is why, if you can imagine on a plantation, the slave patrol isn't going to be stopping 
white folk on the plantation, they're not going to be questioning and be suspicious of the white folk because they're not there to police white folk. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's the same thing here. This is why most of the, the people they stop and frisk, unnecessarily mostly, are black and Latino. And this is why most of the people that they assault and brutalize are men of color because they see brothers as threats. Now, that's not to say our sisters are not threats, but in a patriarchal society, men typically see other men as the dominant threat, you know? Gotcha, gotcha. So once you understand Everybody that history, just, you know? Yeah, 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 I'm, I'm with that. I got, I got you. Everybody, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Hip Politics, Got a great discussion tonight. Um, we're going to go to the phone lines real quick. I got um, Dula in Seattle. Dula, what's happening? Welcome to Politics. Good evening. Peace, brothers. Peace to you both. Peace. Peace, brother. You got a, you got a question or a comment? All right. All right. Yes. Yes, I do, actually. I always think when you're talking about the hip-hop, you know, it's always, it's, it's so much that can go with that. I'm thankful that you're speaking about it. But just to touch on that point where the brother kind of mentioned all the, throughout history, our history here in this democracy is kind of that way. Like you said, we can't be surprised about the way that we're viewed today. Um, hip-hop freed a lot of people, freed the, freed the world, and it's moved, it moved very fast. So now here in society, that's why they kind of restraining everything that they're doing and our music, all these different highlights. But the one point that I see and believe is that we were the older, our generation, maybe on our 40s, through public enemy, all of the consciousness, we are those people today. It's not going to be like some type of, it won't be televised. It's like the stuff we do on the grind in our work in the community, teaching the kids how to think with more clarity because they don't know how to. So I think hip-hop can be discussed like KRS-One is saying it should be implemented into the schools, into society. And I just want to tell you all peace and thank you for letting me share that. Brother, thank you so much for, for uh, sharing your sharing your thought there. And um, Brother G, do you, you know, would you like to respond to that? you have a comment on that? Well, basically, I agree with the brother um, and, and understanding that hip-hop is not just music. Hip-hop is a culture that consists right. of music, language, dress, dance, and all of that culture. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in terms of the brother saying, you know, our generation, I'm 46. I assume he and I are in the same generation. I don't know if you and I are. But, yeah, but we, we, man, we're is, right here. We're right there. I'll there be 45 this, at the end so, of this month. That's what's up. Happy uh, uh, early birthday to you. Man. Early birthday. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. So, I mean, the thing is, the, it's all about the consciousness, brother. It's, it's about the consciousness. Right. It's about raising consciousness. So this is why when I was a young MC, I was into it, and then I saw it was taking a shift, and I wasn't prepared to go with that shift. So I wound up getting into spoken word poetry, you know, and when I became a teacher, I saw 
mm, these schools are terribly failing our kids miserably. In fact, right, they're so they're so bad that some of the people that are the architects of the curriculum should be locked up. It's criminal the the injustice they're doing to our babies. So what I said was, okay, I can stay in this school and keep being a part of the system. Or what I did, we left and we started our own school mm-hmm. that had mm-hmm. dynamic teachers who cared about the kids, who taught in dynamic and engaging ways and tried to teach some character development along with it. So my thing is, right. it's like what Malcolm said. I go back. First, wake up, which implies raising consciousness. Then uh, clean up, which implies that we take care of our own issues and our in-house vices. And then finally, stand up, which implies we have to challenge our oppression and those responsible for it. Ultimately. And so so I, I think those are good points. So we're gonna take a break, but when we come back, I I want you to I, I wanna to touch on that, the the three points that you just made because I think it's very important. And and I'd like to understand from your perspective where do you think we are? Um and I I'm talking specifically, okay. you know, black people. I, I wanna see where you think we are and um, you know, where we need to go. So I, I think that's a good point. So let's take a quick break. And uh, when we come back, I want to touch on that. I also want to touch on um, Game Over because that's um, something that uh, I I found really, really intriguing and had a big influence on me, and I know other people that are listening. So, everybody, we're going to take a quick break. Um, You're listening to Politics. We will be right back. the platform to let your voice be heard. Join the revolution. Follow us on Twitter and give us a like on Facebook. It's called Pit Politics. Politics. Everybody, we're back. You're listening to politics. Having a fantastic discussion. Uh, Brother G. Tahima is here. And, um, you know, it's, first off, um, so you guys know about him, just the people that are just tuning in, so you understand about, about him, you know, um, been in education, I believe, you know, 20 plus years, poet, activist. Um, like he said, he's a former MC, so it's perfect to have it here on his politics. And, um, before we went to break, we was, you know, you laid out uh, a, a three-step process that Malcolm X um, uh, laid out. And I said I wanted you to respond to where do you think we are in that particular process? 
Okay, yes, sir. Uh, in 63, Malcolm was on a radio program in Harlem, and he was ex- trying to explain the Honorable Elijah Muhammad's program through the Nation of Islam for black people, and he summed it up as three parts. One, to wake up. Two, to clean up. And then to stand up. Now, uh, one being raising consciousness. Two, uh, cleaning up means to take care of our in-house demons and issues that make us parties to our own victimization. And then lastly, the stand-up is, you know, self-explanatory, to fight and resist our oppression and to do the thing, to build the things we must build in order to be free, empowered, and liberated. Where I think we fall right now, I think uh, there's a lot of people in the wake-up phase. A lot, there's a lot of consciousness building. If you look at uh, social media on Twitter, on Facebook, there's a lot of people. People are having rallies. People are writing blogs, myself included. People are writing books. People are doing public speeches. There's a lot of consciousness raising. And even and uh, as we were talking about uh, hip-hop, if you search uh, hard enough and keep your ears open, you'll find quite a few brothers and sisters are really bringing some real truth and wisdom through the hip-hop, too. So the consciousness-raising part, the wake-up part, I think we're doing really well on. The uh, the clean-up part we have difficulties with because the clean-up part involves real introspection and soul-searching and a, a, a sort of an honesty with oneself, with one's community, i.e., Am I the best father I can be? Am I the best spouse I can be? Am I the best uh, community member I could be? I'm in this organization. Am I giving my all? You know, am I treating my brothers and sisters righteously? Am I part of the problem, part of the solution? Uh, also, it involves critique, and we are we tend to be a little sensitive to critique. So mm. we don't like getting into conversations about, well, this is what our organization is doing well, but on these points, we're not doing well, and what can we do to make it better? People mm-hmm. have a problem either expressing a critique in a way that's respectable, where people can receive it and not feel offended, or there's a problem. The person can be the most respectful person in the world with the best delivery, and the person on the receiving end is really deeply insecure and overly sensitive. So we have a problem with the, we're we're not uh, conducting ourselves on a plane of excellence. We have to do better. We have a problem with that piece. And and because of that, the stand-up piece is compromised (laughs) because it's hard to get a community to stand up uh, effectively against white supremacy and 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 capitalist exploitation and patriarchy, poverty when they are full of self hatred and killing themselves, participating in fratricide all over the country. You know, mm-hmm. it's embarrassing when people are talking about let's fight against police brutality, let's take a stand against these people killing us disproportionately, and then you got some of the white folk or the conservative Negroes. Who, who are yelling back, well, we need to stop killing ourselves. Now, as much as I hate that response, and those people who use it are not using it in a righteous way, 
there is truth to it. <laughs> so the truth is, it yeah. is true that we're killing ourselves, and it must be addressed. So it's hard yeah. to move forward with certain things when we still have it resolved in-house issues. That, of course, does not mean that we don't, you know, we don't resist. You still got to resist the external oppression. But as we do that, we have to tackle the things that we're doing to each other. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's a good point, and I, I think in you know you talked about the sensitivity, particularly um, you know within the community, and I, I think that you know that that's no statement that rings truer than what you just said. Um, you know, you know self reflection or introspection is is very very important. I, I find one of the things or one of the challenges um, that a lot of a, a lot of us have is not being proactive. Um, you know, we react. Okay, so with, you know, police, the, you know, our, our relationship with law enforcement, for instance, is, is, is nothing new, this, this relation, this dynamic between, you know, communities of color and law enforcement. You know, it's, it's, it's nothing new. Um, you know, so... One of the things that I, I think is interesting, and you know, you, I'm gonna ask you to put your activist hat on and, and respond to this. I, I find that it, it doesn't seem like we're very proactive in um, looking at issues and you know, aggressively addressing them, um, specific issues. You know, we will react when there's a Michael Brown, it's a Trayvon Martin, or or you know, what what have you, right? And we rely, have to rely on the media to bring those things to light uh, on a national level or international level. Whereas if we were proactive and said, okay, these are, you know, the two, three core issues that we want to have addressed, keep pushing, pushing, pushing those issues, and then, uh, you know, and, 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 and push it to the forefront so America can see it or the world can see it, I, I think, you know, it we could gain a little more traction and we could actually control the conversation a little bit better. Um, so, but I'm going to ask you to put your activist hat on because this is where you, you know, your, your depth is much greater than mine and, and really give me your thoughts on, you know, what I just said. Okay. First of all, it's an excellent question. Excellent question. And secondly, brother, my name is IJ. Ajay, sorry about that. Ajay. I keep saying Ajay. It's, it's Thank okay, you, Ajay. Yeah. I appreciate it. Ajay, yes, sir. Now, the thing is, number one, black people are not a monolith. So we're very diverse. We have different political ideologies, uh, faith, beliefs, uh, political practices, uh, political leanings. So there are many black people who are highly proactive. Part of the problem is, that we are still stuck in the mode of chess where the white white moves first. So some of us are still in the in the frame of mind of as you said being reactive or reactionary. So but but remember before Trayvon before Mike Brown before Eric Garner and all the other um atrocities committed against our brothers and sisters by police because, you know, this happens every 28 hours, according right. to the Malcolm X grassroots movement. So this, this happens regularly. But before all of that, there were people in the community 
that had organizations talking about police brutality. There were people mm-hmm. having rallies about police brutality. People have written books. Uh, the great uh, Dr. Amos Wilson, the great psychologist, wrote a book called Black on Black Violence. And so it was even the issue of dealing with our in-house stuff. Part of the problem, though, is that for whatever reason, and it's part of, to me, having a slave mentality, too many of us, not all of us, but too many of us do not take those proactive movements and projects and people seriously when they're issuing the call. I'm going to give you a case in point that ties into the show. Okay. I co-wrote the book. So I co-wrote AZ's book with him, his memoir, Game Over, The Rise and Transformation of a Harlem Hustle. That book was a wake-up. Because that book, if, you, if people read it, it's not glamorizing how he led. Of course, we have to tell the story of all the money and all the women and the cause and the violence. We're telling the story. But through that story, we're telling people what happened to the three of them. One was in jail, one killed, little brother kidnapped and killed, and there's one standing, Right? Then we told the story of all of the people that AZ alone knew that died in the street game. And that we listed those names one by one, and it took up four pages of the book. So we're trying to tell people this is the wake-up call. This is raising consciousness about reclaiming our streets, reclaiming our royalty, reclaiming peace and prosperity, and, 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 and not promoting and glamorizing, you know, the street game and the violence. Everybody bought that book. <laughs> that book became an essence bestseller, brother. I, yeah. I still get yeah. emails from, from people that came out of jail. People want to talk about that. That's the wake-up call. Right. But here's right. the other thing. I also wrote a book called Truth for Our Youth, a, a self-empowerment book for teens. Now, this book, cleanup book, is telling people you don't like the public school system your kid is in, you think that your kid is, is, is bowing to peer pressure. You're afraid that they're not coming up with a cultural connectivity. You don't want them to be lost to the streets and to prison. Okay, this book can gives you a blueprint on how to do that, mm-hmm. right? It's a lot, that, that project is a lot more difficult to sell because people are still stuck in wake-up mode. They want right. to get the information. I like it's not well. It's, it's, it's not as, it's, it's not as sexy. It's, it's not as sexy. It's, it's a little. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it's a and little it, sexier to to talk about. You it, know all the the things that AZ and Alpo and, and Rich went through, right? You know, just mm-hmm. you know when you talk talk about the money because it really ties into where people are today, almost. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The way they started off, all these cats taking their names and their style and, and and really bringing it to the forefront, not only in New York or nationally, but really to a large extent, you know, internationally, the way they influence culture and, and interaction and, and, you know, the, the view that, you know, people had of the, the hood and the hustle. You know what I mean? My brother, I, I know what you mean, and I agree with you. And I want to add, it's not just yeah. that it's sexier. It's that the wake-up call is one thing. The clean-up call implies serious work 
It's yeah. one thing to yeah, watch documentaries. Yeah. It's one thing to read a book. It's one mm-hmm. thing to, you know, go to a, a, a great speech by a powerful, dynamic speaker. But now, when we get to the, the cleanup, that implies serious and sustained and continuous work and effort. And people are, when it gets to that stage, people are like, ah, I don't know. I'm cool because I read that book. I saw that film. I did, you know. Mm-hmm, and right. this, brother, is why this, the stand-up phase is compromised. I wrote another book uh, called The Blueprint, a Black Student Union Handbook, teaching our brothers and sisters on college campuses running these black student unions how to organize and lead effectively. Now, that requires even more work because right. now we're talking about leadership right. training, you know, Right. Holding rallies, right. doing PR, doing propaganda, challenging, mm-hmm. setting up a political campaign to challenge a university to hire more black professors, create a black studies department, dealing with racist incidents. You see, so I find myself, back when I was a younger man, I thought the issue was that the, that the majority of the community was deaf, dumb, and blind. I thought the majority of the problem was with the masses. In my older uh-huh. years, I now realize the the problem is not with the masses. They're not the predominant problem. The problem is that the people who are in position to provide proper leadership and proper guidance and to empower people are conflicted and confused, and they're not doing the proper work they should do. If we If we go to the assumption that most people are ignorant as to what they should be doing, you can't blame the ignorant for being ignorant. You can't keep you arguing that. Now you got to look at, well, who are the people who are supposed to be feeding the hungry and visiting the imprisoned and liberating people? And they're conflicted, deeply conflicted and arguing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of in-house stuff that we have to address. So I find myself now, let's take Black History Month, my brother. Black History mm-hmm. Month all over the country, black students on college campuses bring people to speak. I know because I was a black student union leader and I brought people to speak. But what I'm finding is instead of people bringing people who can tell them exactly what they need to hear on their college campus, they're bringing celebrity speakers. You know, they're bringing people who got six, seven-figure incomes. They're good financially. And these are people, they're, they're telling you the same speech everywhere they go. You know, they're telling you a generic they're not giving you specifics. So, for instance, at this campus, they need to know how to get their black studies department together. This person is coming, oh, we, we used to be great in Africa. Well, that's great. But what they need to know is how do we fight to build this institution? On this campus, white people are trying to force their way into their meetings and, dis- and disrupt their organization. They need people to tell them how to address that. This campus is trying to get their, their, their black scholarships are from being taken away and affirmative action from being eroded. They need somebody to come there and talk about that. So this is what I mean. It's very, we, we, we take, and it's not a uniquely black problem, it's a human issue. People, if left to their own devices, tend to take the, the path of least resistance, of, of less work, of less struggle, because it's easier. So Let's just bring this real famous person who's black and wrote and wrote these books and has been in a movie, and let's bring him to come speak. 
the person leaves, right. and and the, and the organization is stuck with the same problem. So this is what I mean by we have to be not only more active but more critical. How do we get better? How do we how do we become more productive? How do we make our schools more efficient? And that's even in the conscious political community. Uh, that, 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 that's that's fantastic, and I think so. So part of you know why why you're why you're talking, and, and, and you know you brought out some some you know fantastic points. And, and, but one of the things that I'm thinking about as, as you're talking is like, you know, what you're saying rings true to me, and and I'm 45 years old. The experiences that you and I had as as we're going through school and, and, and coming up are to a large extent so different from the average black student at a predominantly white campus today um, as far as the world that we grew up in. You know what I mean? Like, so it's, it, it's, it's totally different. And I'm not sure if, and, and, and I don't want to generalize because I don't even mean it like in a negative towards, you know, the, the college students of today. But I don't think that they have a, you know, their worldview is so different even when it comes to race. I, I, you know, obviously they know there's there's problems and there's issues, but the way they view it, I don't think it's it's not in the same light that what we bring from our generational type of experiences. So when I hear you talk about, you know, hey, you know, they need to bring someone else in, you know, to focus on these issues. I don't even think that they see some of those issues that you're talking about or that you're referring to. Uh, I would have to agree with you again. Um, adding on to, the, to what you said, they can't possibly see it the same way we did. Number one, we came from a, um, a cultural situation that was a little bit more nationalist. First of all, our parents, Many of them were of the generation of the civil rights movement mm-hmm. or the black right. power movement. Right. So they brought those right. those memories. You know, we heard right. those stories. We were we may be the last generation um, uh, prior to the Black Lives Movement. I should I should say to give credit where it's due. Prior to this movement around police brutality, you know, we may have been the last generation connected to sustained national movement, anti-apartheid, black studies stop the violence movement through hip-hop. There's a lot going on. So they can't possibly have the same consciousness. Uh, the other thing, the main, here's the biggie, though, brother. Here's the big deal. The big yeah, deal is that multi multiculturalism, brother, they have a much more multicultural, diverse view. Now, I need to explain that because that's not in and of itself a bad thing. You know, God made all types of people. You know, so, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. But the difference was we had more of a race first. Marcus Garvian, Malcolm X, Elijah Muhammadish analysis. Yes, we understand there's other people. Yes, we understand other people suffer. We have to be able to get along with people because we all inhabit the earth together. But we recognize that other people are fighting for theirs first and foremost. We recognize these politicians are getting resources and opportunities and business contracts for theirs first and foremost. So we are going to be like that. We're going to make sure that as we're humanitarian to everyone else, we make sure that uh, charity begins at home. We lost that. So on the college campuses today, 
you know, you have um, a lot, and not just on college campuses, in the community today. It's very multicultural, but it's multicultural in a way that has negative outcomes for us. So in other words, it's all right to see beauty in any human being, my brother. I'm not a racist. I'm not, I don't believe in biological determinism. There's beauty and ugliness in everybody. But I have to bear witness to the black mother and father that raised me, the black church that edified me, the black school that taught me. And when I look at a potential mate, I have to bear witness to a woman that is in the likeness of those people. Sorry. Now, today, you can't say that. Today, if you say that, you'll say, oh, you're racist. You see? Back so the the, most, the people have pushed this multicultural. No, if you try to do a black movement, the white people say, "Why? Why are you guys? You know, we're oppressed too." And there's all types of people come up. Well, we're oppressed too. Well, yeah, we understand. But y'all have white privilege. Y'all have federal grants. Y'all got politicians that got your back. What do we have? We have to build our our base. And once we build a base, perhaps we can talk as equals and as peers. But when we're eating from the garbage can and y'all are eating filet mignon, driving Bentleys, culturally speaking, it's difficult for us to have real alliance and coalition because when we raise our issues, you're going to still say, I'm with you, but I don't think you should say it that way. And I think you're moving too fast. And I don't think that person should be the leader. You see, so when they get in, they, they, they still try to impose control and definition of our stuff. And that's one of the key differences. We have to get back to a place where we say, I respect everybody, and I will not do harm to anyone so long as they don't bring harm to me or family or community. Mm-hmm. But until the earth gets to a place where we really recognize difference and appreciate it and not trying to impose our standards on others, as we see everyone is taking care of their home and their community and their people, We're going to follow suit. We're going to make sure our people, first and foremost, are good with respect to everything, whether that's a gender analysis, whether they're talking uh, the gay, bi, transgender community analysis, class analysis, Mm -hmm. whatever it is, we're going to make sure those in our home, collectively speaking, culturally speaking, are taken care of. Because we we see we can't trust anyone else. Everyone else is doing it for self. But here's the trick. As they do for their own, they come to us. When we do for self, they say, oh, man, you guys are too narrow. You should involve us. We're suffering too. But the funny thing is, when they're doing what they're doing, they're doing it for their own. So we got caught up in that, and that has to go, in my humble but let me, so, so, so let me let me ask you this. I, I think that now, now you opened up another can of worms, right, because – how, how would you respond to somebody that's listening and they're saying, okay, you know, I, 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 I agree with what he's saying. How is it, though, when we look around and you see, you know, other ethnic, ethnic groups, let's say, um, and, I, and I'm going with specific, eth- I mean, when I say ethnic groups, I mean literally ethnic groups, whether you talk about, um, you know, Italians or, or, or other other is obviously we understand from a, a a slavery perspective that legacy in and of itself, but you see you see other groups kind of coalesce and have insulated themselves from the rest of the world, like 
you know, within their communities back in the day, they just say, okay, we're going to just have our own self-contained community. Nobody's coming in. So the Italians say, you know, Irish, we don't want you in. You know, black people don't want you here. You know, Germans, you get your own spot or whatever. Why is it that, you know, black people have not been able to insulate ourselves to be able to um, basically do the things that you're that you're saying, just, you know, become a self-contained unit? Well, I wanna I wanna complicate that a little bit because okay. I don't know if where I'm going I don't know if where I'm going necessarily is to say we need to be insulated from everybody else. What I'm saying is in a world where power and wealth and business and petitions represent particular ethnic groups and, and political ideologies, when we see all around us everyone is doing that. But what they're selling us is a crock of BS that you shouldn't do that because when you do that, you're being insolent, you're being um, inhumane, you're being separatist. Well, that's that's crazy because everyone is doing that, right? Mm -hmm. I'm simply saying we need to make sure that we take care of home first. Now, the reason that we, one of the reasons we that's so problematic to us, even as we see everyone doing this, everybody's doing it, we see that even in America, if we know the history of the United States, these were people who were oppressed, repressed, suppressed, and distressed. And they said, look, we're going to have to challenge this. When the protester didn't work, what did they do? They declared war, and they declared the independence. Yeah. They, they were separatists, right? The founding fathers mm -hmm. were separatists, weren't they? <laughs> they were so separatists, Absolutely. They, founded, Absolutely. they founded a whole new country. <laughs> no one critiques for that. They're seen as patriots. We we they own our our currency. You know, all mm -hmm. about the Benjamins, baby. We got them in our hip hop. We we, right. we give them props. Well, when black people right. say, "Look, man, we need to defend. We need to defend ourselves against police attack. We need to build our own banks and our own schools instead of sending them to people who don't love our kids." and who think the worst of our kids and treat them like prisoners, you know, then then all of a sudden, oh, you're being separatist and extremist. And it's it's just the weirdest thing. The people with, with who are who are out of their cotton picking minds like myself understand that that's that's good common sense. That's good good politics. But the people that are still in their cotton picking minds, right, did you ever think of that term? You're out of your cotton Picking mind. Did you ever think of what that means? <laughs> hey, you know what? Not until not until you just stressed it right there. <laughs> yeah, I never, never yeah, thought I, about I've it. Break, of, break it down. Break it down, though. I've been I've been out of my cotton picking mind, brother, for over thirty years, and I'm so thankful <laughs> for my mother and father and, the, and Harlem for making sure that I didn't grow up in a cotton picking mind. When you have a cotton picking right. mind, that means you have a slave yeah. mentality. You think like mm -hmm, a slave. Mm -hmm. and right, slaves right. aren't taught to think about owning property, coming together, running away from their enslavement, and creating safe spaces to articulate, to speak their own truth, and sure. to see reflections of themselves in God and in religion and in music. Slaves are taught to basically follow my lead and do what I say mm -hmm. and jump as high right. as I tell you. Right. In a nutshell, right. 
that's the general reason why you don't see the, the natural things you should see, natural things. You go up in some of these communities, if, if police was killing white boys randomly every 28 hours, beating up the women, you know, shooting their kids with autism, shooting kids with toy guns like they're doing to us, do you think that, that they would be saying as a collective community, we shouldn't do anything, we're just going to let the law handle it, if they see that every time the black cop gets away with it, they wouldn't be doing that. They would. They, I could tell you they wouldn't be doing that. You know how we know they wouldn't do that? Because the NRA, they create organizations to make sure that, they, that they're advocating what? For the access to guns. That, that the NRA is completely racial politics, completely, completely racial politics. With all of these school killings, they're talking about, no, there should be no gun restrictions. Why? Because it's, it's advocating for, for uh, white, middle-income, and upper-income people to have arms, even though the Second Amendment gives that right to every citizen. Mm. So this is what I'm saying. A, a person in their cotton-picking mind would say, mm. no, I know they kill us and get away, but we shouldn't defend ourselves. You're crazy to do that. A person out of their cotton-picking mind like me says, you crazy to let people keep killing you and don't respond to it intelligently. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to one's consciousness or lack thereof, man. It really does. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 you know what? I, I really appreciate the way you broke that down because I, I think that's a, a good point uh, to, to really – end this conversation on and, and basically I'm about to, to, to steal you to steal your thunder a little bit, you know, let's all get out of our cotton picket minds, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Immediately. Yesterday. <laughs> let's let's, let's, yes, let's all get at it. Let's let's all get out of that. That's fantastic. Brother, man, I, I, I really, really enjoyed this conversation. I'm so glad you were and I apologize for butchering your name, RJ. Uh, that was uh that's all right, brother. Bad, That's all right, brother. You know, I, I really apologize on that. But um, I tell you what, I do want to give you um the last word. Can you tell people how they can contact you, look you, look you up, you know, get your books and so on and so forth. So uh, you know, because obviously you have some great information, and, and uh, I want people to be able to uh, you know, access that info. Thank you very much. I want to thank you for allowing me to share some space on your show and air some ideas. I appreciate you and your show for that. And um, I would say the easiest way is to just look me up on uh, Google, A-G-Y-E-I and T-Y-E-H-I-M-B-A. I've written Game Over. I've written uh, Truth for Our Youth for Teens, and I've written the BSU Handbook to teach our people how to organize and resist. Um, so you can look me up. I do a blog called MyTrueSense.org. But if you look my name up, you'll come up to all of that in my website, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Perfect. Well, listen, I, I want to – I got to have you back because I really didn't get into game over. That's <laughs> – I really wanted to get – kind of kind of break that down. And, and uh, you know, I, I, got a, I got a cousin who uh, – me and him talk about that all the time. But anyway, I, so you got to come back. Well, maybe we'll – kill me. Maybe we'll we try to get that. AZ on for that one too. Man, that, Maybe we that, try that to get be, AZ on for that too. Yeah, that that would be that would be hot. That would be hot, bro. So you know, let let's let's try to hook that up at some point. But um, 
you know, in the meantime and in between time, I definitely appreciate you being on here and, and sharing the information that you shared. I mean, it was a great conversation. I, I, I love these conversations. Our, our audience loves these conversations, you know, particularly, you know, when people are, are really bringing the truth in. So I just want to thank you again, and uh, I'll definitely talk to you soon. God bless, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right. All right, everybody. That's uh, Brother RJ Taiba. So, um, author, poet, activist, like I said, um, just fantastic conversation tonight, guys. And, um, you know, I'm sure I'm going to get your feedback. I want to thank uh, Brother Dula from uh, Seattle, all the way in Seattle, uh, for calling in and appreciate you, man, for listening and, and giving us a call and giving us your, um, your comment. Words of wisdom were, were fantastic, and I hope you keep listening to Hip Politics. Uh, I want to thank CDJ, of course, number one producer uh, in the biz. So I appreciate you, man. Follow him on Twitter, CDJ Live. And I'll tell you what, follow us on Twitter. Uh, give us a like on Facebook, and uh, check out the website as well. Remember, we're here every Thursday at 8 o'clock trying to bring you the best guests, best topics, and, uh, you know, hit us up if there's something that you want to talk about. Like I say, every week, never settle for the status quo. Keep reaching for the sky. That's what hip politics is all about, everybody. Until next week, peace and love.